The Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The Coast is Calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California Coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. And the Pace Line is brought to you by Health IQ. You ride your bike, you stay in shape, you deserve lower life insurance rates. Head over to their website, healthiq.com forward slash paceline, and find out how much your riding can save you on premiums. Now on to the show. This week we say our Paceline wedding vows in sickness and in health, and when one of us forgets a camelback. So we're 13 miles into this ride. It's an unsupported 100 miles in the Utah desert, and there is no opportunity at all to get water or anything else. I mean, you're out there in the true wilderness. And she looks at me and she says, you didn't get my camel back? And bikes and blocking. Cyclists do it during races and on Twitter. You know, there was a, a lot of discussion of, of doping in the sport. Now, there were some fairly well-known figures who were were, were pretty well-known, um, you know, for, for blocking and, you know, blocking uh, cycling fans in, in pretty large numbers. And so, you know, it may have been sort of a, a flashpoint within the sport. Line, the podcast on two wheels, and we are at show number 64. Michael Houghton, aka Hottie, aka The Voice, aka Mr. 4% Body Fat. I'm going to guess you're about 4% Body Fat. Is no. that right, Hottie? Well, I have, like you, I have a uh, Withings. Don't you have a Withings scale? Is that the one you have? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the scale that inflates your... Your BMI? Doubles it. Yeah, I think so. It doubles it, yeah. is what it does. And mine's saying like these days 17%, so I don't know where that puts oh. me. Dude, we're, we're within 2% of each other according to our uh, our withings. <laughs> I'm at 19% according to withings. Lovely withings. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Making us feel bad about ourselves day after day. And Patrick Brady is back from Japan, but... He's out on a ride, so he is not joining us for this episode, which makes me wonder, what is wrong with you and me, Hottie, when the publisher of Red Kite Prayer is going for a ride instead of joining us for his own podcast? Yeah, well, what's wrong with us is Patrick stays (laughs) on the road almost continuously now, especially with Sea Otter here, so he's come back from Japan. I don't even know if he unpacked. Probably not, and then bolted for towards at least Monterey with a stop, I, I guess, at, uh, at Marin along the way, mm-hmm. or somewhere where Marin bikes might be with a demo. So that's we vaguely know where this guy is. Um, I think he needs a, one of those tracking devices like they give to people released a from spot. jail. I think we need oh. to put one of those on him, and that way we can at least, <laughs> you know, get our map and maybe- out. And maybe one of those collars that you can press a button and it gives him a shock. As long as we're as long as we're putting electronics on the guy. This is why you never want to miss your spot on the pace line if you're one of the hosts here, because people will just we will ruthlessly skewer you for your absence. So again If you aren't here, you're going to be punished. Mm-hmm. It's that simple, mm-hmm. Patrick. So fatty, hottie, patty. It's just too fun to not say it. It's the it is the Paceline crew, and you can find the Paceline, of course, on Google Play, on Stitcher, Podbean, whatever that is, SoundCloud, 
and of course on iTunes. So please go to iTunes or wherever you listen to this and rate us, review us, tell your friends about us. And it only takes a second and it makes us feel like it's not such a bad thing that we are podcasting instead of out there on our bikes right now. So let me ask you a question, Hottie. Okay. Do you know what it means to go flat stick? Flat stick. Hmm. Flat stick. The last time I went flat stick, uh, why does popsicle come to mind? Because a popsicle <laughs> stick is a flat stick? It is. A popsicle stick is a, a flat stick, as is a tongue depressor, or, but that's not well, what we're talking in about. in golf... In golf, the flat the golf references. I'm really sorry, folks. <laughs> it's all the golf references. The flat stick is your putter. So anytime you go flat stick or using the flat stick, you are putting. Okay. Well, I am not. I'm not feeling as bad about myself because I also did not know what flat stick was when Jonathan Vodders told me that uh, for last Saturday, my assignment was to ride my bike for eight to nine hours flat stick and i had to ask and i went ahead and asked on on twitter saying so my assignment is to ride eight to nine hours flat stick what does that mean jonathan vodders and he said that and i don't have the tweet here but basically on a speedometer or an odometer uh tachometer the thing that tells you what your rpms is <laughs> which one is that what's, what's correct on that um is it a, and for a car that's your tachometer Tachometer. Yeah, okay. Let's call that a tachometer. For your okay? bike, so, it's just, it, yeah, it's just RPMs, right? I yeah. Mean. So your cadence, he wants to be all the way over to the right, where if you imagine a tachometer just pegged to the right, it, the stick, the indicator, is just flat out. So he was saying, get out for eight or nine hours and just turn up the revs as fast as you can. And... He knew uh, what the ride was that we had in mind, and that is my wife wanted to see if she could, for her 49th birthday, get around the White Rim in Canyonlands, Utah, a mountain bike, uh, 100-mile course, you know, lots of slick rock, lots of sand, lots of rough dirt road in a new t- in a new personal best time which would also be a record time because she was the existing record holder mm-hmm. for women and my job i as i saw it was to work with her and just go as fast as possible on that mm-hmm. and so that was last weekend and i i actually before we went out there i sent a text to the queen of pain rebecca rush and asked if she and her husband, Greg Martin, would be interested in joining our little group, uh, Lisa, me, Melissa, and uh, her friend Luke, for this ride. Because I know that Reba has had in the back of her mind for some time doing a, uh, a record run, a record ride around White Rim, and she needed to do recon. I was surprised when she said, yeah, sure. And so the six of us started out Saturday morning to do a fast hundred miles around the White Rim with the idea of doing it in around um, nine hours, which would, you know, including any stop time. And we had the most perfect 
mountain biking day ever. Weather around 72, 73, 75 degrees. Wind, none, which has never, ever happened to me on the White Rim before. There was one notable exception to our otherwise perfect day where we were just moving fast, having fun, doing a little bit of talking, taking a few pictures, but basically just motoring around this uh, this loop as fast as possible. And it happened only 13 miles into the ride and it was my fault and it was nearly ride ending for at least my wife. You want to hear what it is? What what I did? Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you have yeah. to, right? <laughs> if you had said no, I you know story over, right? So we wanted to we as we were driving in, you know, making a right turn onto this 13-mile dirt road that takes us to the place where we normally start. As we make that turn, we left our camelbacks hidden behind a tree conveniently at this intersection, which makes it so that for the first 13 miles of the ride, which is a pretty considerable climb, we wouldn't have to have our camelbacks that have, you know, the 120 ounces of water and all of your food and all of that for the day. That For the first significant climb of the day, while your legs are still warming up, it wouldn't you, know, you wouldn't have that to lug around and it's convenient because you're drop, you're having to go by that intersection anyway now when we did that drop off i took my stuff out put it by the tree and didn't think about taking anyone else's i did see my wife go over to the tree and drop something off and i saw melissa and luke drop their camelbacks off so I thought everything was just fine. But when we got to the tree after the ride, my wife comes hauling past me, setting a new QOM for that first 13 miles. And then she turns around and comes back, um, you know, having crossed where she knows the Strava segment ends, you know, because we live that way. Mm-hmm. And she has a big smile on her face because she knows that she is in fine form. But I do not have a smile on my face because I have picked up all the camelbacks and I say, you don't have a camelback here, hun. So we're 13 miles into this ride. It's an unsupported 100 miles in the Utah desert and there is no opportunity at all to get water or anything else. I mean, you're out there in the true wilderness. And she looks at me and she says, you didn't get my camelback? And I said, why would I have gotten your camel back? And she said, you said you were going to get my camel back. And I got to tell you, as a 50-year-old guy, maybe I did. I might have said, hey, I'll get your camel back. And I certainly, when I picked up my camel back and put it by the tree, could have gotten her camel back because I, uh, be, because they were right by each other. Why didn't I? I don't know. But we're 13 miles into the ride. All my wife has is the two bottles that are uh, in her cages, and there are a few extra bottles of water that she had put by the tree just in case we wanted something to drink, you know, after that first 13 miles. We look around, we do some math, and we have the decision, are we going to keep going or are we going to turn around and go back and get her camel back? 
guess what we did? Mm. I'm going to say you you kept going because you had the very capable, very smart, very strong Reba with you that uh, somehow has <laughs> got to figure into this equation. Well, Reba and Greg, uh, they pointed out that they had each brought enough water and food to be out in the desert for about four days. <laughs> <laughs> and I had brought enough. I, I, I had enough food that I probably could have fed the group of six of us just in terms of goo Good. for about that long as well. So food was never an issue at all. Water, a little more questionable, but with a predicted high of 70, 75 degrees, somewhere in between those two, we thought it is not going to be that hot. Let's risk it. Is it and we it, did. Is it sun exposed? Oh, totally. Oh, okay. 100% oh, sun desert. exposed. Right, you are desert. in the Utah desert. Yeah. yeah. Imagine a Roadrunner cartoon. That is really what it looks okay. like. Okay. So, yeah, we are out in the sun the whole time. Um and but Reba and Greg had brought an, quite a bit of extra water. I had my hundred ounce uh, Camelback, a couple of bottles of water stuffed into the Camelback, a a Coke because I love having a Coke. You know, about sixty miles into a big ride like that, mm-hmm. just you know the the rush of sugar and carbonation just is like heaven. Then, and you know it seemed like we were going to be okay, and as it turns out, we were. Uh, we finished the ride with, uh, you know, with the slurp sound of the camelback just, and you know, saying, whoop, that's the end. Uh-huh. And I had nothing in any of my bottles, and my wife had nothing in any of her bottles, and I actually had needed to give a bottle full of water to uh, Lisa's daughter. <laughs> you know, she needed she needed a little bit of extra. And Greg had given up a bottle to uh, to Lisa as well, or maybe to Melissa. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But in any case, we all finished, and indeed, we did set for the women record times: um, seven hours, fifty-five minutes moving time for a perfect one hundred mile loop. It is for you know uh, random reasons exactly 100 miles to get around uh, from, you know, from A to A uh, around the White Rim. Mm-hmm. The only the only bad thing about it was uh, Melissa has gotten really fast. And so while Lisa turned in the fastest time she had ever gotten and would be the new, the, the, the continuing reigning QOM holder for getting around the white rim in this direction from that point, her daughter finished it about half a minute faster. Oh. Pipped her at the finish line. So <laughs> uh, the women, they are competitive. And Reba's got her recon done, mm-hmm. and I think this story is to be continued. So all of you rode together? Sounds like it. Um, we broke apart into groups of two for much of the ride. Okay. Uh, Luke and Melissa rode together. Uh, Lisa and I rode together, and Reba and Greg rode together. Okay. So and I want to take you back to the yeah. the Camelback discovery or non-discovery. <laughs> About how long in this twosome, you and the hammer, did you guys ride in silence? 
Now, what was the mood like as you pulled I, away from the stash tree? I'm a natural born apologizer. Um, so that is a, that's a really good question. And I thought to myself, this is going to be a really, really miserable day of writing because I know that we are going to run out of water and things are going to go bad and it is my fault. And I apologized over and over and over and over. And Lisa finally said, okay, stop it. Enough with the apologies. It was actually the apologies that were getting on her nerve. Um, by the time we had gone 20 miles, everything was fine. So it was only, th there was maybe seven hour or seven hours, sorry, seven miles of, uh, I would say, edginess where I, where it was mostly just me um, apologizing relentlessly and endlessly and annoyingly. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> You're going to die in the desert and I feel like it's my responsibility. <laughs> but this is my water. You can't have it. And your flat stick ride, what happened? Uh, I mean, we, we turned in all up a faster time by 20 minutes than Lisa had ever gone. Um, so it was incredibly, it, it was successful. Yeah, but we, no, but you, you had, you had a goal here too. Reba was reconning. The hammer was trying yeah. to break her record. Melissa was trying to break something break too. Her break mom's your record. mom, break, break <laughs> her mom. And you had a job to do too, right? My job was to, was to work for Lisa. And we're not talking and about forget water. That was not your job. Your job was job. also to train according to JV Yes, and do a, a high cadence, essentially a high cadence ride for a hundred miles, and and that worked great. By the end of the day, I was cooked, but still felt good. Um, I I am a masher by nature, uh. and so I had to remind myself numerous times: Hey, stop standing up! Don't don't use your arms to give yourself extra power. Stay seated. Get low. Shift down pedal fast. Does he know you're so, a masher? Oh yeah. Okay. That's one of the things that I'm really enjoying with uh, the conversations that I have with Jonathan is I'm, I'm trying to be very candid and telling him wh what my mistakes, what my mistakes are when I do things wrong. I try to be very open about my successes when things are very easy, when things are very hard and you know how they're going in general. So like last night, I was supposed to do a uh, you know three hours holding 215 watts, um, and I did. But my legs were so cooked by the beginning of the third hour. You know, two hours in, I was just whipped, and I was very proud that I finished it at all. Much less that I finished it, you know, at the wattage that I was told to. And I let him know I was like, okay, that kicked my corn. And I am not sure that I'm good for another, you know, for another thing like this for a while. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe it, residual t fatigue from white rim. Plus, we've been doing um, er earlier in the week uh, on Monday, we did a ride where it was 90 minutes and every five minutes doing a six second all out sprint, you know, stuff that it actually is making riding a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was just exhausted. So I told him that and he had uh, for today what, um, you know, once a week I do a ride where 
It's uh, low effort, high cadence before any calories. Um, you know, to you know, basically, pra- I think <laughs> I should probably ask him more about the why on some of this, but to get a, a, to get better at um, you know at, at my writing uh, in a calorie deprived state, burning fat right. instead of instead of uh, sugar. Well, I think he's. Uh, this is a guess, and Jonathan certainly is the master here. But uh, yeah, a by going in in a glycogen depleted state. And firing up right away and riding, he's trying to make you a better fat burner. So your body mm-hmm. has no choice at that point but to burn fat because overnight you've depleted what glycogen you had left, in, in at least in your liver, if not your muscles for that matter. And second of all, I think through this high cadence, what the, his goal probably is, is to improve your efficiency. Because while something like VO2 max is very difficult to improve. It's you're kind of born with it. You can you can elevate it a little bit. You can become a little stronger and faster at VO2 max in other words at that level above your time trial level. But what everybody can do and I think what he's probably driving at here is improve efficiency. Mm-hmm. And so while maybe your VO2 max you're kind of near your ceiling, you can always become more efficient at all levels of riding. And one of the ways you do that is neuromuscular training. In your case, what you're doing is high cadence work. You're just getting your muscles used to firing, the, yep. the sequence that they need to fire. And at a higher cadence, they have to coordinate, and you get better at that, and you become more efficient. And when you're laying down a 100-miler over Leadville or whatever you plan to do, if you're a more efficient rider, if you make better use of each pedal stroke— it's going to cost you less in your reserves yeah. in the end. And that has happened to a degree. I have noticed that just uh, where I used to have a rough time maintaining a cadence of 100 uh, RPM, I'm now able to maintain a cadence of 105 RPM with about the same level of perceived effort. Mm-hmm. And where my ceiling used to be you know, for any uh, duration – of around 110, 115, I can now hold 100, 115 for a much greater amount of time. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm, I'm learning. I'm making, uh, making changes. You know, 20, uh, 20 years into my writing career, and I am, you know, I, there's still stuff that I'm learning that I'm very much a novice in. So it's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying this season. Yeah, it's a lot of fun hearing the stories too, and, and the input he's given you. So keep those coming. Oh yeah. Yeah, it, that's that's pretty much the deal. He's helping me and I'm telling the stories and I'm enjoying telling them too. So you you know me, love telling a story. Mm-hmm. I think that this ought to take us to our first break and then an Easter miracle, sort of. That's next on the pace line. The Camelback Bike Collection includes the 6-liter Ratchet, the 5-liter Rogue, and women's 5-liter Aurora. We've spent over 25 years perfecting our bike line and designing packs for every type of rider and terrain. We've been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance. 
Recently, they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people. They've got special rates for cyclists, of course, and runners and triathletes, but also vegans and other health conscious people now. We've mentioned they have quizzes, and these aren't just for fun. If you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle, that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. They've also replaced BMI with waist to hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. Additionally, they replaced the LDL to HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for people on low carb or paleo diets because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get out of jail card. In other words, if one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at healthiq.com paceline. The Paceline, the podcast on two wheels, part two in our three-part podcast. <laughs> Hottie, fatty show, and Patrick, MIA today. And that's okay. We know he's going to be back. It's He's going to come back with stories to tell from Japan and from Sea Otter and everything else that he's doing. Hottie, are you familiar with Dan Worry? Well... Just uh, only mildly, uh, casually. I don't, you know, I don't follow him uh, on a Twitter feed or anything like that. So just the name rings a bell. So you should read his Velo News column, uh, which is at the back. Oh, you know what? I'll bet I have read him then. I just don't read the, I never read the author. At the back, I know. Okay. Oh, he would be so crushed to hear you say that. (laughs) I know. But uh, I've read his column for a long time. He's actually now a contributor to National Lampoon, a funny guy and a really nice guy. And you should follow him on Twitter because for the last few years, he has been doing every Easter something where he asks people if they've been blocked by someone to let him know, and he will intercede on their behalf and ask for an unblocking, provided that you promise to be nice from now on. And he has had remarkable success in getting folks to reconcile. So today, I had a little conversation with Dan and asked him about this interesting tradition among cyclists, why he does it, and about some of the most interesting blocks he has deblockified. Dan, welcome to The Pace Line. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Fatty. Great to be with you. What I want to talk to you about is something that you just did last weekend and have done every Easter weekend for the past how many years? I want to say it's three. And we are talking about the great Twitter unblocking, the annual event held every Easter where you reconcile folks in mostly the cycling world who have been blocked one from another. How many people have you gotten to reconcile? Over the past couple of years, I, you know, I, to be honest, I haven't, I haven't done a great job of keeping track exactly, but it's, you know, it's several dozen people each year. Um, so, you know, I, I would guess you know, 50, 60 at this point over the, over the past couple of years. That's pretty impressive. Now, 
What made you think of that idea originally to get cyclists, uh, some famous, some not so famous, to uh, to unblock each other on Twitter? You know, I, I, I wish I could say that this had been a very well thought out, uh, deliberate plan. This, this actually started kind of as a joke a couple of years ago. It happened that I was talking to a friend on Twitter uh, three years ago, and it, it happened to be Good Friday, and this person was complaining to me that they, uh, I'm, I'm struggling to remember even who had blocked this mm. uh, this friend of mine, and I, I made this kind of uh, corny uh, Easter joke about how I, you know, I, I was pretty sad to raise them from the Twitter dead by, by Easter <laughs> Sunday. Um, and it, it really, you know, I, I did at that point sort of intervene on this person's behalf and uh, a couple of other people picked up on this. So I, you know, at the time said, okay, yeah, I put something out and said, Hey, if you want to reconcile with somebody, I'd be happy to, happy to help out. And it, it, it's taken on a, a life that I just would not have imagined, you know, right from that very first year. And so, you know, I mean, I, I hadn't, uh, certainly hadn't anticipated, you know, with this kind of a corny joke I had made three years ago that we would be talking about this um, years later or that this would become sort of an annual tradition. But the truth is, at this point, really not a week goes by all year where people aren't kind of reaching out to me. And I've, I, you know, at this point, I've, I've sort of let it um, let it become a tradition in part because I don't want that to be the only thing I use Twitter for a little bit selfishly. So I sort of save this as a, as a special, uh, a special occasion, but it, you know, it's really fascinating and has been very um, heartening the way that this has taken off over the past couple of years. People really seem to appreciate it. There are people who um, you know, sort of follow it just for the sake of, of seeing it. And it, it really seems to have struck a chord. Why do you think that cyclists block each other in the first place? Is, is that something that is unique to our sport? Are we especially touchy? Well, I think it's more a, a social media thing generally than it is something unique to cycling. Now, I will say, you know, several years ago, um, you know, there was a, a lot of discussion of, of doping in the sport. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were some fairly well-known figures who were were, were pretty well-known, um, you know, for for blocking and, you know, blocking uh, cycling fans in, in pretty large numbers. And so, you know, it may have been sort of a, a flashpoint within the sport at that point, because I think, you know, there were some riders that were taking a fair amount of abuse, and some of it, uh, you know, certainly don't want to condone uh, abuse, but there was, uh, you know, there was probably some very well-deserved criticism at, at, at that point of some of the folks in question. Um, so, you know, there were, you know, there was a, a time there. I mean, I can tell you for certain that, you know, three years ago, um, you know, when this started, you know, uh, Lance Armstrong was certainly the most popular request as somebody to uh, to unblock and Johan Bernil, for example. Um, you know, some of the folks that had been involved in um, you know, and just the events that were, were breaking at that, at that time. But, you know, I will tell you over the years, first off, you know, both, both Lance and Johan have actually been very gracious in this whole, uh, on, unblocking uh, process. Hmm. Um, and I think, you know, over the years have actually unblocked a fair number of folks. And so I, I actually only had one request for, uh, for Lance this this particular year after that, you know, after many years of being the most popular. So over time, it has definitely spread for, you know, people who don't even follow me have, uh, you know, have reached out and have asked for, uh, you know, things get retweeted. And so, 
you know, I think uh, probably the highest profile uh, one for this year was uh, was somebody who requested that Eric Trump uh, unblock them, and he actually did very graciously. So, so for this year, who was the most common cycling request? I didn't tally it exactly, but I would say you know there were there were two. Uh, Jonathan Waters um, had a number of requests, and uh, as did Chris Froome, and and you know both of those guys, um, you know, very graciously participated and. Uh, you know, un- unblocked a number of people. What are a couple of your favorite unblockings? Maybe my favorite story from this year, um, and I'm going to blank on the name, but one uh, somebody somebody tweeted this year um, about this campaign who was one of the people that um, I requested unblock somebody last year, and so mm-hmm. um, you know tweeted that they had they had reconciled with somebody else because I had asked them to last year and was was promoting this as a as a good idea for others. So it's a, you know, wow. lots of lots of nice stories of uh, of people reconnecting this way. A Twitter reconciliation that led to a genuine reconciliation. That is a nice story. Well, Dan, funny guy, reconciliator and columnist for Velo News as well as contributor to National Lampoon. Thanks so much for being on the baseline. Thanks, Fanny. It's great to be with you. So I, I really do like Dan, and you can kind of see why he is so good at getting folks to reconcile, to unblock each other. Uh, you, you notice how many times he mentions people do something graciously, do something kindly. He is one of those guys who, in addition to having a really funny, self-deprecating sense of humor, really does see the good in people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can kind of see where where he's coming from with that. How how is he not our Secretary of State? I mean, that man has diplomacy. He can get <laughs> he can get two sides to come together, right? He he really he really can. Uh, the number of people that he's gotten to unblock, and I mean, for you know anyone who un who blocks in the first place, you know, there's generally a grievance. Although it's pretty common that neither side can remember what that grievance was, well, right? Because we are touchy people. Yeah. <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head, too, when you asked him, are cyclists touchy by nature? Yes, we are. Um, I think we are. Yeah, we, we run around in our underwear, but for some reason, <laughs> we get all bent out of shape when somebody, you know, says the wrong thing on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Now, on this show, was it you? Weren't you blocked by someone on Twitter, or was that Patrick? I think that both uh, both uh, that both Patrick and I are blocked by Lance Armstrong, and I think that someone on my behalf asked Lance to unblock me, uh, and, and that might have been the one that he was re- that uh, Dan was referring to. Oh. I did not myself ask. I just figure, you know, if if Lance has had enough of me. That's, you know, that's him. That's fine. Um, and I haven't checked, but I don't think he has unblocked me. Well, how could he have enough of you? I don't... <laughs> I, see, again, the sensitivity thing. Maybe I don't have it. I think there are probably a fair number of people who have had enough of me. Uh, so I've had enough of myself uh, pretty frequently. So, yeah, I can kind of see their point. Mm-hmm. And as I recall, what we did on the show is I had... I had stated that I don't, I had not believed that that I'd ever been blocked, and so you two started a campaign to have people block me, just so I could be were, a part of the gang. Were we successful? Do you remain blocked by anyone? I think, but I don't like I don't track it, so I don't know. Okay, 
So a call out to all of our listeners, take a moment and block hard. No, no, unblock. This is about unblocking. Oh, no, no, that's only on Easter. I'll have to get Dan involved. Block him I'll now. have to block Get you. Dan involved next Easter. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to bikes. Mm. And I know that you are loving gravel bikes right now. And there was a real focus in the Taipei show on on gravel bikes this year. Yeah, gravel and and I think Patrick would agree with this. In fact, Patrick's written this. He said, you know, gravel right now, adventure bikes are the most exciting segment. Um, most of that's mm-hmm. because the manufacturers have seen the opportunity there. They're putting a lot of en- energy into that, a lot of research, engineering. New things are coming out every week um, that address that segment of riding. It's also personally my favorite kind of riding right now. I, I just love hmm. drop bars off-road. Um, I love the events. I love figuring out just how my equipment should be set up. So for a lot of reasons, I'm digging this category right now. And, and Taipei... Um, the big bike show in the far East, um, was a a great deal of the energy and a great deal of the coverage had to do with uh, the adventure class. Um, you know, led by the Lauf fork and Mm -hmm. we've seen that on several gravel bikes and Cannondale's slate, a 650 B with a lefty front fork and drop bars. Of course, we're now entering actually a new age and that is the age of the full suspension gravel bike hard to believe them wow yeah um a big buzz at the taipei show was a bike called the a pro ranger it was uh a design and innovation award winner and it (laughs) is a full suspension gravel rig drop bars and squishy up front and rear um kind of here i'll kind of paint a little picture of the bike uh no one really didn't ride it but it was on display there it's an alloy bike called the ranger has a lockout equipped X Fusion shock mounted to its short travel linkage and a short travel upside down suspension fork, also with a lockout switch mounted into the fork crown. It takes 650Bs. Uh, it'll easily clear two inch, uh, two inch tires, probably more than that. Uh, and speaking of suspension, there was a new gravel hmm. fork also spotted at ta- Type A. Uh, EXA Forms Road Suspension Fork. Looks like a Looks like that old Cannondale head shock we used to see running around. The EXA mm-hmm. extends. The, 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 the unfortunate thing about the way the EXA works, though, is it actually will extend the effective head tube length of any bike you install it on. So if you had um, a 165 head tube length, well, the shock, which is essentially between the bottom of the head tube and the top of the fork crown, you know, adds um, about, well, there's 50 mil of travel in there. So... Even when it's yeah. even when the sag is set up properly, you're still going to have an extended length there. That's going to change your head tube angle. So you're going to give up some things about your bike's stock handling characteristics if you add the suspension piece. Um, but you know, full suspension was the real big deal. Now, Fatty, you ride definitely ride some gravel stuff. We're going to see you at Crusher, obviously. Oh yeah. Where does you know where does uh, where does where does it stop being a mountain bike and start being a gravel bike or vice versa are you do you eyeball this stuff i know we have a buddy who we both are friends with facebook on um, yeah loves his loud fork loves his, yeah. loud loves fork. his grit yep where, yeah. where does this sit in your equipment desires you know i um for a long time rode a fully rigid mountain bike and fully rigid single speed mountain bike and so suspension 
even on mountain bikes, still is not a super big deal to me. You know, this white rim ride that I did, 100 miles, very choppy um, ride that I did last weekend was on a hardtail. I don't even own a full suspension mountain bike. And that just has to do with kind of, you know, how I grew up in mountain biking. Um, with that in mind, it doesn't, it doesn't feel particularly necessary for me to have suspension in the back on a gravel bike. I just, I'm trying to picture the circumstance under which that is important to me and I cannot see it. Having a little bit of suspension up front, I absolutely can see. Having, you know, just enough for the very chattery, bumpy roads, even, you know, even this amount of suspension that you get with the new uh, specialized Roubaix, you know, that their, whatever they call it, which is basically the future future shock, shock, the stem suspension. That seems, uh, that seems pretty reasonable to me. I can see that Uh, suspension in the back, especially since I am running much wider and uh, less pressurized tires. I just don't, I, I I just don't see it. I don't know. How about you? Yeah, I, I'm. I've ridden both the Lauf and the Cannondale Slate, the both you know front mm-hmm. suspension bikes. I remain unconvinced at this point. Um, maybe it's because I tend to like to get out of the saddle and sway my yeah, bike I back and forth. And um, I you know and and gravel bike is still almost a cross bike, almost a road bike to me. And and if I want more cush, generally where I'm going to chase that is on tires and tire pressure mm-hmm. first and not by putting suspension on the bike. Um, but I, I do like the ideas. I do like to see people trying stuff, whether that be manufacturers or riders or both. Um, yeah. And, you know, it does make for, for better options. And look, I there's probably some events, maybe a Kansas, where you're going to want more vibration dampening, more than you can get out of tires or wheels or tire pressure. Mm-hmm. And a Lauf or Cannondale Slate, which has actually won that race, or maybe a full suspension gravel bike, is going to be the key to saving your rear end over a long haul like that. So who are we to say, you know? Now, something I am very excited about, and and I would definitely love to try on a gravel bike, is a dropper post. Now, Hmm. droppers, I don't even have one on my mountain bike. Why I'm keen on this for a gravel bike i don't know maybe it's because the terrain we have here and i gather you would probably find in utah too and that is uh socal and the mountains here we run into a lot of steep somewhat techie stuff where you do have to move your rear out over your back tire when you're descending otherwise you're going to end up over the bar so having a dropper could be advantageous especially for the riding around here and something we saw at taipei and i saw actually at redland strata rosa which is a great gravel event um, out in Redlands, California this year, is this idea of putting dropper posts on gravel bikes and then wiring them to your left shifter. Oh. So like, yeah, it's an unused, it's an unused uh, piece of cycling real estate that we're used to having action on. That makes great yeah, sense. Yeah, that is if you've got one by. If you have one by, sure. right, you've got an open lever over there. Mm-hmm. So what... Yeah. what people are doing what some riders are doing and by the way ks lev which is one of the big dropper companies they said that the their 27.2 dropper post uh which fits gravel bikes is their biggest growth category right now that's where that's where they're selling the most product is in the smaller seat tube diameter uh posts um and they they feel like most of those are going on gravel bikes right now but what people are doing with these 
KS Levs and other dropper posts is they're wiring them to left shifters. Uh, for instance, SRAM's shifter is fairly easy to open up. You pull out the indexing so you don't have mm-hmm. the click, you don't have the double tap anymore. Then reassemble it, put your cable in, and run your cable to the dropper. And now you can activate that dropper with your left shifter. As opposed oh, that's to, ingenious. Yeah, as opposed to having yet another button or lever on your handlebar somewhere. Yeah, that makes great sense. Um, and uh, you have to change your hand position much less often. Yeah, but a good buddy of mine, David Turner, runs Turner Brakes. He had outfitted one of his Cyclosis cross bikes this way. Actually, outfitted it for his wife at Redland Stradarosa. Very slick. It was uh, quite eye-catching. So I'm into <laughs> I'm in, maybe not full suspension gravel bikes for me, but a dropper. Now that's... Now you're talking. Now that sounds pretty cool. So, Well, we're kind of in a similar place with gravel bikes now that we were with mountain bikes, you know, say 10 years ago, where, we, where we're making some big discoveries and we're having to do a lot of experimenting and the, the technologies haven't necessarily matured to the degree that they have with road and mountain. And so there is a lot of what if, let's try that. Uh, kind of thing. And it's pretty exciting to see. I mean, it's definitely got a lot of people excited. So mm-hmm. yeah, lots, still lots happening and probably more to happen over the next couple of years. Yep. Well, Sea Otters this week, and we expect that Patrick will come back with more uh, gravel adventure stories. So we look forward to no, that. No, I'm sure he will. All right. You ready for the Pace Line picks? I'm always ready for Pace Line picks. All right. Well, I'm going to go first because I'm excited about this one. Do you remember Mike Ferentino from Bike Magazine? Okay, yes. I'll say yes. Oh, you've got to remember (laughs) uh, Mike Ferentino. Uh, You know, the only other person that perhaps evokes the same reaction in me is Zap Espinoza. Um, Those, you know, those are the guys who were there. Well, no, uh, and Bill Strickland. Uh Let's go ahead and add him. Those were the guys who were there in bike journalism's uh, first heyday. And they were the guys that I went and made sure that I read, you know, Ferentino, Zap Espinoza, Captain Dondo, Bill Strickland, you know, all these guys that I just love to read in, in, in those magazines. Well, Mike Ferentino's got himself a new gig with a great group of guys. You know, Mike McCormack, the guy who puts on the Breck Epic mm-hmm. and the owner of Uncommon Communications? Yep. Well, Mike has joined him at Uncommon Communications PR firm and, you know, adding a level of awesomeness to an already awesome group. So I'm just, I'm super happy that Mike Ferentino has got uh, a really cool, great gig with what I consider to be a really great company. Uncommon Communications. Uncommon Communications. Also, Karen Jarkow is there. Uh, she is a pro racer as well as an employee of Uncommon Communications. Mike has put together a great team, uh, both for events and for his uh, PR firm. I bet you find, uh... Serious cyclists who know great things, great guys to be around too. Super involved in the, uh, both in events and in the sport in general. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, my pace line pick is two good stories rolled into one. The first story is that of Andrew Myers. Uh, Andrew went to school to and become a biomedical engineer. He earned a master's from Marquette 
and eventually uh, went to work at an orthopedic rehab engineering center. Very brainy work. But what Andy really loved was the bike. So he followed that passion and his engineering training to Trek, where he worked on wheels. Andy was so committed to the bike that instead of getting a second car so he could drive to work, he rode every day. And Trek, my friends, is in Wisconsin. Imagine the winters. (laughs) Friends and family describe Andy as generous, solid, steady, helpful, intelligent, adventurous, always ready to lend a hand, and never daunted by a new challenge. Unfortunately, Andy Myers is no longer with us. He died from a cerebral brain clot at the age of 34. I know, it doesn't sound like a very good story. I promised two good stories, but I'll deliver. Mm. My other good story is Dream Bikes, a nonprofit organization that provides hands-on paid job training to teens in underserved communities and at its used bike shops. Uh, the organization, which counts Trek bicycles as a major supporter, employs kids who learn a variety of skills, including bike service, customer service, experience using point-of-sale software. Green Bikes also provides access to bicycle, bicycles to those who may not otherwise have the means to obtain one. Since the first store opened in 2008, Green Bikes has created 194 jobs, returned wow. 15,000 bikes to the community, repaired about 1,200 bikes via mobile repair. And just recently, Dream Bikes opened four new storefronts in Madison, Wisconsin, Calumet City, Illinois, Knoxville, Tennessee, and Rochester, New York, for a total of six locations nationwide. Dream Bikes also assists employees who wish to continue their education with scholarships for college or further mechanical training. The scholarship program began in 2013 as a memorial to Andrew Myers, the man we mentioned at the top of this Paceline pick. The generosity of his family and others has allowed 20 Dream Bike employees to continue their education. For more info, it's dreambikes.org, and we'll have a link on the RKP site. So my Paceline pick is two picks, Andrew Myers and Dream Bikes. That is some good stuff. You know, hats off to Trek for putting something together in honor of uh, an important and great uh, employee uh, as well as great guy, as well as for doing some good things for their, uh, you know, for, for the cycling community and for kids at large. That's just, that's fantastic. That is a fantastic pace line pick. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I like that. All right. And I, I think that that is going to do it for this episode. Thanks to all of our listeners for listening If you haven't, make sure that you subscribe, rate us, review us, all the places that we talked about at the top of the show, and leave us a leave us a note when you review uh, when you review us. If we like it, we'll read it, and if we don't like it, we'll learn from it, and we'll still probably read it out loud. For Hottie and for Patrick, who I'm sure will be back next week, I'm Fatty, and you've been listening to the Pace Line. My computer is just howling. What what is the noise for, Mister Computer, Mister Lenovo? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.